Dr. Patrick Cohn, I, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today and to talk about Ken Revisa's legacy and just hearing your thoughts and feelings and experiences with Ken. So I want to thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you, Grant. All right. Well, we all know how special Ken was to all of us in the field. Can you share with me the first time you met Ken? Like, what was your experience? What was your first impression of Ken? Well, I heard about Ken when I was at the University of Buffalo studying exercise science and, and psychology. I was doing a dual degree there. And one of my advisors uh, suggested if I was into pursuing that combination of between exercise science and psychology, that one guy I might want to study with is Ken Revisa. And that's how I originally uh, heard about Ken. And so I packed up and <laughs> applied to Cal State Fullerton to study with Ken. And, um, and yeah, and the rest is history. I moved all the way across the country from Buffalo, New York to Cal State Fullerton just to um, work with Ken. And when I first met Ken, uh, he seemed like a very down to earth guy, uh, very concerned about, you know, his students um, and the athletes that he works with and just not the typical professor type, let's say. Right. <laughs> when you talk about his or when you think about the passion that he put towards his work, how would you describe his passion? Yeah, he was uh, super passionate about working with the athletes. I felt like, you know, he certainly enjoyed teaching at the time because um, I had him for several classes, obviously, when I was out at Cal State Fullerton. But he really enjoyed, you know, hands-on working with athletes. Uh, I remember when he was working with Augie Garrido and the uh, Fullerton baseball team, I would follow him around. Uh, any chance I could when he would go out and work with, you know, the Augie Garrido and the team and the softball team and, and the golf team at that time. And it was a r really eye-opening. He's the person that got me really excited about this field, uh, about working with athletes, because he showed me that it was really about, you know, common sense. And it wasn't about, you know, cycle babble and understanding everything from, the field of psychology, but basically working with athletes in a very common sense way and using analogies that, that athletes could really understand. Absolutely. For sure. How important do you think his work was for Major League Baseball and, and for the field of sports psychology? Yeah, um, I think it was very important. You know, I, I look at certain guys that, you know, pave the way and Ken was one of the guys that paved the way for everybody to come. Ken Revisa, you know, Bob Rotella, guys like Ron Smith, who, who uh, was working, Wayne Hollowell. These were all guys that were in the trenches early on working with athletes before it was cool to, or before it was accepted really to work with a mental coach and to work on your mental game. So, he really brought it in, helped bring it into the mainstream, as did many other guys as well. And he was one of those guys that w was leading the charge. And when we talk about, you know, we talked a little bit about his passion, but when you think about how special and how unique Ken was as a person and also as a mental performance coach, why do you think he was so unique and special? 
Well, from my perspective, you know, both working with him uh, as a student underneath him and him being a mentor of mine and then later uh, working with him and doing some seminars here in Orlando with him, I think his approach was unique in that he was really down to earth. He could really talk the language of athletes because he was an athlete himself and he showed real caring and concern for his athletes. Yeah, he was a straight shooter. Um, there wasn't any beating around the bush. He would tell you exactly what's on his mind. Love it. Love it. Can you share your most memorable moment with Ken? Well, I had many <laughs> memorable moments in there <laughs> with Ken, uh, you know, sitting in his office. But really, like I said, for me, he got me excited about this field. And, and what was exciting about it was going out and working with the teams. So he helped me work with the softball team. Um, he helped hook me up with the golf team out there. And I followed him around whenever he was doing seminars. If he's doing a gymnastics seminar or working with a, a golf club, I'd follow him around uh, for those. So to me, it was his openness to, you know, share his knowledge about um, how to help athletes. That's what really came through with me. He didn't hold anything back, you know, from his students, uh, from the people he was mentoring. When you first heard about his passing, what did you feel? Well, I was really sad to hear that he passed. I know, you know, he had recently started a website and he was doing, starting to do some more stuff online and branching out. It, it's just, you know, it's just a shock. It's uh, hard to believe that, you know, Ken was kind of, although he was retired from teaching at Cal State Fullerton, he was really in the throes of working with top-level athletes, you know, top baseball clubs, and, and doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. So it just shows you, you know, how fragile things can be. It's, you know, he's doing it one day and then the next day, you know, he has a heart attack and, um, passes away. Mm. Yeah. I had heard from Tom Hansen. I was actually up in New York at the time in upstate New York, um, on a vacation. And, um, I had just happened to text Tom and tell him I was in his old stomping ground in Saratoga Springs where Tom had taught for many years and, and uh, was a coach for baseball. And Tom was very much um, in touch with Ken the last few years because they did some books together. They did Heads Up Baseball. And they were also doing a, a Facebook Live group that they had going as well. And so I had just, you know, out of the blue contacted Tom and told him I was up in Saratoga Springs. And that's when I had heard that, um, he had passed away just a couple of days prior to that. If you can describe a little bit and share with, with myself, my listeners, how much of an impact did he have on you as a person and also as a, a mental performance coach or a sports psychologist? Well, huge. Um, like I said, uh, Ken is the uh, person that really got me excited about doing the mental coaching and, um, really started my career by uh, helping me work with the teams at Cal State Fullerton. He had the confidence that um, I could help the teams there. Um, and then also in my career. Uh, at the time, I was interested in golf, and 
he steered me towards Bob Rotel at University of Virginia. He said, look, if you want to work with golfers and you're going to go on and do your PhD, then this is where you need to be. Um, and I'm sure Ken put in a good word for me uh, with Bob <laughs> at the time because they were friends. Uh, they knew each other well. And so I could really say that Ken is the one that launched my career very early on, not only by getting me excited, but by helping, um, you know, carve a path out for my direction in this field. Mm, beautiful. You know, this is one of my favorite questions because I've, I just, I know this might be a hard question for you, but it's been really great to hear some of the, the answers. But when you think about Ken as a person, as a professional, how would you describe him in one word? Um, that's a good question. I would say easygoing. What, what do you think makes him, what made him so easygoing? I think just his, his down to earth, his personality, his style, his way that he communicated with people along the way, um, how he coached, how simple he kept the coaching, um, and he didn't make it complex. And it was interesting to see how it evolved over the years, how his coaching evolved from, it was all about peak experience early on because that was his background and stress management. He was heavily involved in stress management. I think that's how it all started for him as well, uh, doing the stress management classes and getting invited in to talk to athletes because of that. But then uh, as I talked to him later in the career, and I interviewed Ken many times, you know, over his career after I left Cal State Fullerton, several projects that I had going on, it was all about learning how to adjust, knowing that you're not in the zone, that the zone is overrated, that you're rarely ever going to get into the zone, and it's about adjusting and compensating and being able to, you know, play with your B game and knowing that you're not always going to have your A game. So that was really interesting for me to see his his thinking about mental coaching and helping athletes change over the years because I first knew Ken back in um, um, the mid, the early, the mid-80s is when I did my schooling with Ken. And over the course of, you know, uh, what, 30 years or more, um, he changed his approach about working with athletes because – as he said, athletes and, and coach, uh, athletes and coaches that he's worked with were his best teachers. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, the more you work with athletes, the more you learn. For sure. You talked about his style of communication, which I think is one of the special attributes of Ken, his Kenisms, if you will. And everyone, that have been a, everyone that's been a part of this tribute has shared their favorite Kenism, their favorite Ken statement um, or teaching or lessons. When you think of these Kenisms, if you will, what's your favorite one? Well, there's many favorites, and I, and I often will quote him in my uh, MGCP certification class. But um, the one that kind of stands out for me over the years is you have to control yourself before you can control your performance. I love that one. Yes. It's great. Before we close here, is there any extra, any other thoughts that you have on Ken, his legacy, or any other experiences that you've had with Ken? Well, I'm just extremely grateful to have the opportunity to, you know, study and work with Ken. 
um, at Cal State Fullerton. Um, like I said, he's the one that really launched my career early round and got me excited about the field of mental coaching and, and working with athletes. And he paved the way for uh, many other uh, peak performance consultants um, along the way to really open up people's understanding of what mental coaching is, what sports psychology is. And it's uh, not anything to be afraid of. It's not anything to avoid. It's very common sense work that we do with athletes. John, I want to thank you for being on my show today and and share your thoughts and feelings and stories about Ken Ravisa and just uh, just honoring his legacy. And I'm really excited for you to to be on my show. Hey, Grant, thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's it's an honor for me to to be on the show and to you know be able to speak to another person in, in the same field about uh, one of the people that's, that that will, that will be on the Mount Rushmore of mental performance. Absolutely, 100. percent We all know how special Ken is, and in how awesome he is just to be in his presence. Can you share with me the first time you met Ken? What was your first impression and what was your experience like? You know, I met Ken in 2016 when I took a, I took a job in baseball operations with the Chicago Cubs. I'd, I had stopped playing baseball the year before in 2015. And I met Ken in spring training in 2016. Um, I sat in on his meetings with our major league team, our position players and our pitchers. And I, and I, and the first thing that struck me as he started talking was that, and I'd never had an opportunity as a player to work for him, work with him. Uh, but I had read books, you know, I knew who he was and I knew what the message was, but I'd never seen it in person. And I sat down and I, and I watched him start speaking and, uh, I was blown away. Um, you know, I, I the first thought that I had when he started talking was I wish that I would have paid more attention to the words that he was saying right now when I was a player because it could have benefited me to a great extent. And then getting to speak with him afterwards and and talking to him about his methods, the thing that I realized about Kenny is that he was 100% there for everybody else. And I think that's a rare thing to see in this day and age. He wasn't trying to, he didn't want to take credit for anybody's performance. He, He would always talk to me about and as we built our relationship, he would constantly bring up the ways that he messed people up. I messed, I screwed this guy up doing that. And I screwed this guy up doing this. And, uh, he never spoke about, you know, the great things that he did. He had his meetings, uh, where he, you know, he talked about what the important things are about performance, about focused attention, about the ability to forgive yourself, about the fact that you don't have to be, you don't have to have your A game to play well. Uh, you're not that bad of an athlete that you have to feel perfect to be good at what you're doing. Mm. That, you know, trials like this, that, that, that that's, it's the greatest thing that you can do. Like, like you, you would always talk about the ancient Greeks is to, is to get out there and stand naked in front of the gods, you know, and that's what it's like being an athlete. And other people don't understand that when they don't play, they, don't, they think that it's all uh, wonderful. You know, you're a famous baseball player and you make all this money and you play at Wrigley Field, you know, in the context of our team with the Cubs, but they don't see what really goes on the inside of the mind, you know, they see the outer shell of the player. They don't see what goes on inside. They don't understand those things. But that was the thing that I think stood out the most about Ken is that Kenny understood. He understood what it felt like. Uh, he understood the things that they went through and he could always relate to people. You know, even at 70 years old, he could relate to our 18 year old minor leaguers when they came by and talked to him. He could relate to people from Venezuela and Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. And, and so that first meeting, 
talking to Ken and, and then sitting in meetings with Kenny after that. And then, you know, being in this incredibly fortunate role this year where I could call him my mentor at work. Uh, when I had a question about a player on this current Chicago Cubs team, I would call Ken and we would talk and we would talk for 45 minutes or an hour about one person. And, and, it, you know, it was wonderful for me to find that kind of leadership. Uh, but somebody who felt the same way that I did about other people that, you know, in our role and our role as, as performance coaches, it's not our performance that matters. It's their performance that matters. And that's the hallmark I think of, uh, of, of Ken's message to me, uh, you know, was, you know, get your own shit out of the way. Uh, this is about other people and, and, and being there for other people being, uh, having that kind of servant mentality. Uh, it's, it's the best one to suit you in this line of work. And, uh, I'm, I'm just very fortunate to have spent the last couple of years with Ken. How is it working with the godfather or one of the godfathers of sports psychology and, and just having that, that intimate relationship where I believe you, it wasn't just getting on the phone with him. You guys were sitting in the dugout a lot and you guys were, you guys were true partners. How does that feel? What, what was that relationship like? Well, there's a whole now, I'll tell you that. But I was just so fortunate. I consider myself so blessed and lucky. Uh, you know, we would, the last time I saw Ken was in Los Angeles. We were playing the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, for four days, it's where Kenny lived. And for, and for four days, we would, you know, do our work before the game and spend our time with the players. And they would go out and play the game. And then we would sit in the food room and we would talk until he went up to sit in the stands with his wife for like six innings. And I would ask him questions about what I should do with my future. And we would talk about art. And we would talk about going to... Uh, the cathedral in Los Angeles or the, or the self-realization gardens in Malibu, you know, like we were talking about the healthy decompression things that guys could do away from the field and things that he had. And, and that's what Kenny was. He was more than just a, a sports performance coach. He was more than just a, a sports psychologist. He was more than a teacher. Uh, he was something bigger than that. I think that you know, when I, when I think about Ken at the, in the last moments of his life, he was protesting against the unfortunate treatment of, immigrant families when they're with their kids being separated. That's what he did. He, he lived his life in that way. So, you know, being able to work with him every day, I learned so much, you know, I think that when you watch the, when you hear some of the messages of Joe Madden and Joe Madden gets so much credit for uh, saying things like be present, not perfect. When, when I hear words like that, when I hear the Maddenisms on television, when you watch NLB network and you hear Joe talk, when I hear the Maddenisms, I hear him in Kenny's voice uh, because I know, I know where they originated. I know that they collaborated together very often, Ken and Joe, but everything that, that Joe brought to the table, uh, it was accented by Ken's influence. Uh, and I think a lot of times, you know, Ken planted the seed. It was the germination point for a lot of Joe's ideas. And then Joe kind of translated them into baseball language. And that was the, that was also the relationship that Ken and I shared is that he would talk to me about, you know, he was the expert. Uh, he was the, the guru of, of sports psychology uh, but in me, he had somebody that connect, could connect more completely to the youngest generations that we have in the major leagues. You know, I look like the rest of the guys with tattoos and a weird haircut like the rest of the baseball players. And so I could speak that language. And so we would sit there and talk and we would translate his message and I would get his message more further ingrained into this next generation. And that's what I hope to continue to do in my line of work is take the things that Ken Rivers taught and and help translate them to the uh, to this millennial generation that we have playing in baseball right now. Well, you talked about the Maddenisms or Kenisms. Uh, Brian Kane actually calls them. He has a a tribute which is called a KR, the KR seventy, which he's you know defined seventy really special statements 
or lessons that Ken has given all of us. And, and they're special, right? I mean, just, you know, have a good shitty day. Like all these cool sayings that he said for you working close with him. What, what are your favorite isms from, from, from Ken? Well, I mean, breathe deep uh, is one. I think the same one that you just said, have a good shitty day. Uh, you know, do you really, are you really that bad at what you do that you have to feel great to do it well? I mean, I think that one applies. And I think it's a good point too, that you bring up because these things don't just apply to sports. They apply to life and your own happiness. Yeah. You know, that's what we're really getting. That's what we're really getting at here. You know, we talk about it. We talk about this stuff in the, in the context of sports performance so often, but I realized, I I realized really quickly when I started getting into this line of work, that this is not a, not solely about sports performance. It's about self-awareness. It's about people being aware of the things that make them make them happy and learning how to do those things as often as possible. And, and and those things are not just physical things that you're doing. They're mindsets that you take on when you go to work. The, the odds of us being alive are so astronomically low, right? It's ridiculous that we are even alive. And I think that this is something that Kenny and I talked about all the time and he would bring up with players, but it's so ridiculous to actually alive that are we really that mad when we go Oh, for fucking four? Is it really that? Is it really? Is it really have a, that big of a damper on your happiness? Because if it does, then sports are going to kill you. And so it was. It was always those things. It was always the the sayings that he has about being uncomfortable, and and not necessarily just accepting it. You know, we would joke. We would joke that being un, being comfortable, being uncomfortable is the dumbest saying of all time because it's, I mean, grammatically impossible to be uncomfortable. If, if I say I'm uncomfortable, but I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. But we would talk about. Uh, recently we were talking about it's accepting, accepting that the discomfort is what is going to lead to your growth, accepting it, accepting that you have to be the lobster to shed the shell, accepting that, understanding that, having the awareness to recognize that when the moments suck, when you're having that shitty day, when you don't think that it's going like you want it to go, those are the moments where you're getting better if you have the right attitude. And I think it's the final one that I'll say about Ken, the, the final Kenism, which is that, your attitude is a decision. It's a conscious decision that you can take in. It's not what happens. It's what happens and how do I respond? Yes, this happened. So what? Now what am I going to do about it? How am I going to respond? What attitude do I bring into this particular situation in this present moment in time? What attitude do I bring in it, in, into it? Because if my attitude's shitty, then my performance is much likely to trend in that direction, more, much more likely to trend in that direction. But if my attitude is the right way, if my attitude is accepting of the shittiness and understanding that that shittiness is what's going to lead to my growth, man, now all of a sudden you got some tough, some tough guys to deal with, right? You got <laughs> Absolutely. Some, you got some people that walk around happy. You got some people that understand what it really like, what it really means like to, to, to live life in the fully way with all of the senses turned on with, with a, with a, with an awareness of their body and awareness of their mindset and awareness of their thoughts. And those are the most dangerous athletes in the world. Absolutely. A hundred percent. When you first heard of Ken's passing, how'd you feel? Oh, man. Um, I don't know if devastated is the right word, but uh, I was sad, obviously. I think everybody was sad. Um, that, you, know, you know somebody and they passed away, they were sad. But my sadness, uh, I, I tempered it with thinking about what he would say. You know, I think that um, nobody's gone if we don't talk about them, you know, if we talk about them, they're not, no one's gone. And, and I can ask the questions in my head to him and I can hear his answers. And so I think that 
uh, I was sad, but then I, I thought about Ken and I thought, man, he would not want me to act like this. This, <laughs> right. is, this is, you know, he, he would, you know, Ken, Ken, I think if Kenny had had a, like a terminal diagnosis, you know, like where he knew that there was going to be an end point to his life, he would have fucking celebrated. He would have celebrated the end of his life. And so I went from that kind of, and when I think about it, man, it, it kind of hits me. But, uh, then I think about him again and I think that's not how, that's, that's not how he would do it. It's not how Kenny would do it. You know, it was a, it was a shitty day to hear that news. But, uh, the first thing I thought after that, I thought this sucks, but what would Ken say? Kenny would say next pitch. <laughs> right. He'd say next pitch. He'd say next pitch. He'd say, so what? I'm gone. I'm in your head. You can re- you can read my thoughts in my books. I'll always be around. I, I you know, I've influenced everybody that's in professional baseball. But, you know, I, 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 we, we go to the field every day and I see, I see the Joe Madden t-shirts do simple, better simplexity. I see those things and I go, there's Ken. He, he's here right now. He's on that shirt. He's in my mind and he's in Joe's words. And so, uh, yeah, it sucked. It sucked. To, it sucked. To, it sucked to deal with. But again, next pitch, you know, take a deep breath, take a deep breath, <laughs> focus on, focus on what's happening right now. Have some awareness of what the physical body feels like. The body only knows the present moment. In the present moment, my life's pretty good, and and it's and it's time to move forward and, and push the message forward, and and that's that's right where I went after I heard that news. You know, you're right. He's he's definitely in our minds, and his legacy will live on forever. But I think he's in our hearts, and and I say that because almost every single person that I've actually have had this sh- on the show for this tribute has shown emotion, just like you're showing, just having a hard time, you know, processing. Uh, the feelings, and um, but it's a beautiful thing though. Uh, he left. He's so powerful. What he did for the people that were close, like yourself, and then people like me from afar, that you start to realize how beautiful this person was. This guy, um, he's a big deal, and it's great just to to hear how he affected your life. And I know this is going to be hard. This question because every time I've asked uh, people on this tribute, they, they're like one word. I only have one word, but you can you can use a couple words, but. If you were to describe Ken in one word, what would that word be? Man, that is really hard. <laughs> um, if I had to describe uh, Kenny, I'd say open. Mm. Open. You know, like, he, he, and, and, I, and I say that because, uh, you know, when he talked about players, like I said, he talked about how many times he screwed up. But when I say open, I say open because at 70 years old, he was open to learning. He wanted to learn. There, there wasn't, there wasn't, uh, there was, there was no, like, I know it all. There was no, um, I have all the answers. He was the opposite. He was, he would say, you know, he would get biblical and say something like you run from the people that say that they know the answers. And Kenny was open. Uh, and, and, and I think that's one of the greatest qualities a human being can have open openness and awareness. And he was both of those things. Brian, I just want to thank you for being on my show to to talk about Ken Revisa, his legacy, and just hearing your thoughts and stories and your feelings about this incredible individual that just left a mark, not only in Major League Baseball, but in the, the field of sports psychology. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on my show. Uh, it's an honor to be here, Grant, you know, and I, I will tell you that I haven't been a grad student for Ken Revisa 2001 to 2003. 
Ken Revisa has had more impact on my life than maybe the rest of the planet combined. He was the first guy I called when I proposed to my wife. I asked him to be my best man, and there legitimately has not been a day that has passed since since July 4th, 2000, when I came across the book Heads Up Baseball at a Barnes & Noble across from Fenway Park that I have not thought about Ken Revisa or one of his teachings. Wow. Wow. Can you tell me the first time you met Ken? Uh, what was your first impression? What was the experience like? Yeah, I remember clear as day. I, you know, I'll go back even a little further than that. I was at Barnes & Noble in that on Boylston Street in Boston, Mass, across from Fenway Park. I was down there. I was working as an RA at the University of Vermont, rehabbing a shoulder surgery between my junior and senior year of college. I was an RA, and I had four kids from Alaska that were interning at IBM that I was responsible for. Well, they had that weekend off, so I said, hey, let me take it down to Boston, man. It's like, yeah, you know, a better place to be than Boston on July 4th, especially when you're from Alaska. And we go down there, and this Derek, who was with me, he wants to go get his mom a postcard. So he walks into Barnes & Noble, and again, this is right across from Fenway Park, right? So there's a baseball section. I walk over, and for some reason, man, heads up baseball grabbed me. And when Ken wrote it, he knew his audience, right? He knew that baseball players weren't going to read a whole book. So he put inside a heads up baseball these black boxes that were basically the Cliff Notes version that you could read the whole book in 20 minutes. I couldn't put it down. I was a college baseball player that was doing everything the opposite of what he was teaching, and I was getting zero results, and it drove me crazy. I bought Heads Up Baseball that day. It was the first book I ever bought, and it was the first book I ever read, and I can tell you that one day in one book can completely change your life. We go back to Vermont that night. I read it in the book, in, in the car driving back. The next couple of days, I go to the library, and I send Ken an email. At this time, it's 2000. I don't even own a computer. And a couple weeks later, I get a handwritten letter back on Cal State Fullerton letterhead because Ken wasn't the best uh, with technology and typing an email. And I remember you know, we had a phone relationship basically from you know, August until November when I flew out there to Cal State Fullerton to do a visit because I wanted to go to school there. It came down between Northern Illinois and Cal State Fullerton. And when I went out to Cal State Fullerton, I remember meeting Ken in his office and he was going to introduce me to one of his grad students that I was going to stay with, basically taking, you know, I'll call it a recruiting visit or a campus visit. And that kid got food poisoning. And Ken said, well, you know, Brian, um, this student's sick and I can't find another student, so you're going to have to stay with me. So we drove from Fullerton the hour back to his place in Redondo Beach, California, and we walked down into his office. And it's, the office is known as the bunker. And we go into the bunker, and it's probably 7 o'clock at night, and I walk into a Hall of Fame of sports psychology, videos, wow. books, worksheets, you know, just the, even, you know, and Ken, Ken was one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. So there wasn't a ton of like memorabilia in there, you know, but just like the college baseball and, and professional baseball, me being a baseball player at the time. I mean, it was just amazing walking in there. And I remember that, you know, he was like about nine, 10 o'clock at night and we were breaking it down and kind of, he was talking about the program and, I was asking him all these questions, and I remember he had Skip Bertman's video winning the big one on VHS, and I went and I put it in, and I probably watched that thing like six times that night, that, the Blue Angels, and him speaking to Nebraska football and different videos, and he comes down the next morning at like 7 a.m., and I'm sitting there on the couch just glued to the TV, had taken like 100 pages of notes, and he goes, dude, did you sleep? I said, no. He goes, good. We're going to get along great, and that was kind of my first memory of Ken Revisa. Wow, that is incredible. That's awesome. Well, when you think about, when you reflect on your relationship with Ken, what was the biggest thing that you learned from him? 
I would say it comes down to, to two things. It comes down to control what you can control, right? Is the big umbrella. And you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. And you have very little control of what goes on around you, but total control of how you choose to respond to it. And I would say the, the, the control what you can control piece. And then I would say, you know, the greatest gift that you can give is your presence. You know, Ken was one of the most present people I've ever been around. And, you know, in a, in a digital world, man, he was analog. Like he was right there, right there with you. He would take the time. It didn't matter. He didn't get distracted. He wasn't on his phone. He was right there as if he was the only person on the planet. And, you know, I graduated there in 2003. I'm coaching high school softball in Vermont in 2004. And we have two dugouts. And I put two sayings in the front of the dugouts facing the field. One was control what you can control. And the other one was make today your banquet. And Ken, in the chapter one of Heads Up Baseball, you know, he gives a story saying, I want you to imagine you're at the end of the season and it's at a banquet. And it's the retirement from the, your sport, retirement from baseball. And all your friends and your family and your teammates are there. And after a meal of grilled chicken and soggy salad and a couple humorous put downs, someone stands up as a teammate and the type of character you had and the type of person that you were and what you brought every day and what do you want them to say? And you always come back to is your life and how you're behaving today aligning with what you people would, you would want people to say about you at your banquet. So those are some of the things that, that really stuck with me. Wow. Wow. You know, there's, I've read a lot on uh, people's thoughts on Ken and, and his legacy. And one thing that didn't, got brought up a lot was that he was deemed as an expert in listening. And when you talk about being present, I mean, obviously you have to be a great listener, but um, for someone, you know, if I move on from this world and someone calls me an expert listener, I mean, that's just a great, that is a great thing to say. That is a great quality. Is there a better, is there a better compliment? Right. For sure. How special was Ken to, to Major League Baseball and to the field of sports psychology? You know, Grant, I feel good at like this. There was an interview in Rolling Stone, and Rolling Stone was interviewing Jerry Garcia, right, who was the lead singer of The Grateful Dead. And they said, Jerry, you know, you guys are, you know, you put, you put on the, a show and you got more fans and you do more concerts. And, you know, what's it like to be the best in your field? And Jerry Garcia, you know, sits back and he goes, hey, man, like, that's not it at all, man. We don't we don't want to be the best in our field, man. We want to be the only ones in our field. And that was Ken Revisa. Wow. Ken Revisa did sports psychology, call it performance enhancement, call it peak mental performance. Because for the people listening to this, right, when you get into the world of quote unquote sports psychology, you have people that handle, there's two, think about three paths. Okay. There's clinical sports psychology, which is drug, alcohol, eating disorder, like your straight clinical psychology issues. And then you have research sports psychology, which is your people that are in a classroom that never go out and work with a coach or athlete, but send surveys and then write about it. And then you have the people that go out and do performance psychology. And Ken was, you know, 90% performance psychology. And I just don't, you know, I mean, since I graduated there in 2003, there are no other graduate programs in the country that you can go and get to see one person work with as many coaches, as many athletes, and as many teams as we got to see as his grad students at Cal State Fullerton. I mean, 
you'd be sitting in a class and all of a sudden he'd go, oh, okay, guys, hang on. Today we were going to do this in class, but I've got Michael Powell, world record holder in the long jump here, or I've got this person who just won an Ironman in Kona, or I've got this boxer who's training for a world championship fight in three months, and they would come into our class, or he would bring in Mike Sosha, manager of the Angels, into our class, you know, and he'd sit there and he would interview this person for three hours, and it was, you're sitting there going like, where am I right now, you know? And I just remember like the second class of sitting in with Ken, I was like, I am sitting in, like, this is not normal. It's not normal to have these type of people rolling through here. And I remember that that, that's the day I went and bought a laptop because I was going to type notes and I bought a voice recorder and I was going to record every single one of his lectures. And then what I would do is I would listen to that lecture on the hour. So it was a three hour class, three days a week, right? And I would listen to the, to the class driving home that night, driving into campus the next day. So I kind of went through every class like three times because it was like every single word that he said could change your life. It was that time and that type of perspective and he was the one and he was so dynamic and so engaging you know and and there was he never showed he never had a powerpoint ever it was stories and it was connecting and it was examples and he had you getting up and doing things and he's taking you through a meditation to start every class and he's finishing with a meditation and having you get up and talk about something with a person next to you like it was it was never rushed but it went by so fast it's incredible. I can only imagine being in his class. Like, just how unreal is that? Oh man! I mean, I'd give anything to go back and do it again. I bet. Well, you you talk about his passion, and I think we all experience his passion. You know, especially when uh, either in person or through videos. But how has his passion for the work? How has that affected you or rubbed off on you as a peak performance coach? Whew. Man, how has it affected me? I mean, it's created me. I mean, for the first, you know, for the first five years of doing this, <laughs> I wanted to be Ken Revisa. I laughed like Ken. I told the same jokes that he did and, and I used the same material that he did, you know? And then it, it, what happened is it got me enough experience and got me along far enough where I was able to kind of then create my own style, you know, and I was able to, and it was able to add in additional content and things that I picked up from other people that I had studied and people that I had learned under. But I mean, 80% of what I write, 80% of what I teach comes right out of Ken Revis's classroom and it comes right out of heads up baseball. And I say that with the utmost respect because it's the best, it's the best program that's out there. You know, and we don't need to recreate the wheel. You do need to put your own kind of spin on it once you have enough experience to be able to do that. But Ken Revisa shaped me as a man, as a coach, as a husband, as a son. I mean, he shaped my entire life. Beautiful. You know, you did your own tribute to Ken, and you wrote a, a beautiful piece on uh, one of your blogs. But you also did something that I thought was just awesome, and it's called the KR70. Can you share with me a little bit what the KR70 means? Sure. So, so Ken passed away at 70 years young, and you know when when the news hit me. <clears throat> sorry. Not a problem. I'm sorry. Take your time. 
you know, so when you find out, what do you do? And the one thing that, you know, Ken would always say, I'm sorry, hang on. Okay, take your time. As you would say that, you know, movement is therapy. Like he would say, just go for a walk, you know, and go for a walk. And I remember there's many days where, you know, I would, we, we'd be at his place in Redondo Beach and breaking something down. He'd say, hey, let's go for a walk. And we'd go down to the beach and just walk on the beach there, you know, at, in, in Redondo by the house. So when I got news, like I didn't know what to do, man. I mean, it was, it was one of the hardest days of my life, still is. And, um, you know, I would call Ken with questions about anything, you know, and, and I just, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to get on my bike and my trainer in the house. I'm going to ride 70 miles and every mile I ride, I'm going to write down a different thought, you know? And then as, as you kind of get into it and it was like, okay, what are the things, you know, the, the, what are the things that stick out to me? And then as I was riding, I was watching his videos and I was looking at other things that people had posted and you're reminded of so many things. I mean, if I open my closet right here, Grant, I got every binder, every note that I took at Cal State Fullerton for, for those two years. Wow. I mean, they're all sitting right there, man, because, you know, I haven't thrown away because someday, man, it's always been a vision of mine to find a way to, to be a professor or write a certification or do something to be able to give back to other people the way that he invested into me because you just can't get that level of investment in this field. You just can't go and see people do the work with coaches, athletes, and programs like he did. So, you know, when I wrote the, the KR70, man, it was like therapy for me. It was movement and it was journaling. And, I, you know, Ken would always have us journal things too. And, and he had a stress management class, you know, like the majority of the grade was you kept a stress management journal and you just had to log your thoughts and log different things to build awareness because you would always say that, you know, what you're aware of, you can control and what you're unaware of is going to control you. And I just thought that the movement, you know, me riding the bike and, and, and put my thoughts down on paper would, would, you know, just help kind of me to revisit and reflect on all the teachings. I mean, it could have been the Kevin, it could have been the KR 70,000. I mean, there's so many, you know? <laughs> right. but I just thought that if I could just find a way to get some of the things down on paper and, and put them out, uh, and share it with other people because, you know, I know, I know how much he meant to me and I know how much he's meant to other people and the feedback from that has been great. You know, the people are said, Hey, I've got this printed. This is something that I look at and I just wanted to make sure that I, I did my part as the, you know, the, I look at is, the, is one of the people that's carrying the torch that Ken has lit and inspired inside of me and being able to give that to other people. And, you know, the list was, it's, and I encourage everybody to, you know, go to, to Brian's website and, and to see and read this, this beautiful piece and see the list of the, the KR70 because what you did with these, with these statements and with these list of phrases is you brought to life the work, Ken's work, but what makes Ken unique is not only these phrases and the way that he did it and his, his, his approach, but it was the energy behind it. I think that's what was really cool about Ken and what kind of brought these phrases to life. And you captured these 70 phrases, which I think are great. They're awesome. Out of all these, I know this is going to be a hard question, but out of the 70 phrases that you captured, What's the one that means the most to you? I mean, there's control what you can control and make today your banquet, like we talked about earlier. But I tell you, one of the ones that 
that really stuck out to me is just have a good shitty day, you know? And he would always talk about like, you know, people in sports psychology want to get you to get into the zone and everything's going to be positive and you got to have this great energy. And it's like some days, man, you just got to be less shitty. You know, some days you just got to find a way to get it done with what you have. And Ken would define mental toughness as giving everything you have in that moment to win the next pitch. Right. And he would always give me shit when I would say, like, dominate the day. It's like, Ryan, some days you don't dominate the day. Sometimes you just get by. Right. And I'm like, Ken, I, I understand. But to me, dominate the day is that that is I'm it means I'm present with what I'm doing and I'm in the moment and the moment on top of moment on top of moment leads to a great day you know, at least a great week, at least a great month, et cetera. But he would always say, have a good shitty day, man. And, you know, I, the, the amount of support that just came my way with terms of text messages and emails and things when he passed, you know, I just would write back, man, hey, Ken would say, have a good shitty day. That's what he would say. was his mentality. It's not always going to be pretty. There's always going to be adversity. It's going to be hard. He would always say, get ready, get, get ready to get hit in the mouth. And I remember being with him in dugouts. And, you know, we might have a three-run lead in a baseball game at Cal State Fullerton, and then somebody on the other team would come up and boom, they'd hit a three-run home run to tie it up, and he'd sit in the dugout and just in his way, he'd go, beautiful, beautiful, tie game, beautiful. There it is. There's the adversity. That's what we wanted. Let's see what we made of. Win the next pitch. Beautiful. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it's real, man. It's real, you know, and it's like it's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be easy. You're not always going to win. But you can always learn. And he would always say failure is positive feedback. And what are you learning? You know, and that's the question he would always ask. Anytime I would see him, how are you getting better? Totally. And it brings me back to Nelson Mandela said this great quote. He says, I always win and learn. I never fail. Yeah. 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 Michael Jordan would say some days I won. Some days I learned. Right. In life, there's not winners and losers. There's winners and learners. Yeah. And then the life the learner because if you learn you keep getting better for sure 100 percent. you know ken bryant the third baseman for the cubs he once said something about ken he called them he called him the godfather of sports psychology amen <laughs> perfect i was going to ask you you know how accurate is that from your perspective but it, it seems like you uh it's as accurate as the sky is blue buddy i love it it is, it is as accurate as water is H2O. He is the godfather of sports psychology. <laughs> I love it. I love it, and I agree with that. That's awesome. One more question here, Brian. When you think of one word that describes Ken as a person, as a teacher, as a friend, as a father, just everything encompasses Ken, what word would come to mind to describe Ken? So many um, things that are going through my mind are, are humble, our teacher, our selfless, caring, present, the best at what he does. That's not one word, but that's what he was. Man, I would probably say selfless. You know, I mean, Ken, as good, as good as he was as a peak performance coach, you know, he was an even better teacher. And you know, I had the privilege to see him with his wife, Claire. I had the privilege to see him with his daughters, Monica and Nina. And he was, you know, he was, he was a father and he was a husband. And, you know, Ken could have very easily 
very easily walked away from being a university professor at Cal State Fullerton, and he could have gone on the speaking circuit. You know, he could have gone and written books, and he could have gone and he could have done video programs online, and he could have done all these things that people, you know, me included, who don't have a tenth of the experience that he has, and gone out there and tried to tried to do it right and try to make a living doing it. And Ken would always say he'd go, "I'm a teacher at heart," and he just wanted to be a teacher and you know, he could have made, he could have made 30 times as much money. He could have made, he could have made and traveled the world and done all these things. But man, he just wanted people to come in the classroom and he wanted to teach because he felt like that was the most, the most impactful way to connect with people. And I think he was right. For sure. For sure. And you know, in our roles, it's, um, I'm not going to speak for you, but it's, it's a beautiful thing to teach and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to connect with people and build rapport and get people over their shit. And you do it, I do it, Ken did it, and it, it's a beautiful thing. And I think we, in our roles, we are teachers. It's what we do. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And, and Brian, I, you know, for someone who was so close to Ken and the fact that he had so much impact on you as a person and as a professional. I want to thank you so much for just being vulnerable and sharing your energy and your love for this man, because I think his legacy is and will never be forgotten uh, within our field, and it will never be forgotten within Major League Baseball. So I, again, thank you for, for being on my show. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor.